Welcome to the 19-Minute Marketing Podcast, where you get actionable advice on how to grow your business in less than 19 minutes. And now your host, Sebastian Hammer. Welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here. Likewise. Thank you. Do you have any experience? You, you've actually been mostly around the whole world, actually, and expanded to everywhere. Do you have some experience? Uh, some experience in the differences from emerging markets versus developed markets are some things people should look out for. So I think that emerging markets, so, so you're right. I mean, I, I actually founded and ran a company in India. I've done a lot of work in Nigeria. I've done a lot of work in Brazil. Um, but then I've done also a lot of work in, in Western Europe and throughout North and Central America. And there are commonalities and there's differences. I think that the biggest difference is the kind of the expectation from the perspective of American businesses about how quickly you'll be able to get things done and how um, transactional something will be. You know, American companies tend to say, oh, well, we understand your problem. Here's our solution. Here's the price. Here's the terms. Let's do business. And the negotiation um, process and culture in other markets can be very, very frustrating. I think that particularly in emerging markets that tend to be more price sensitive and particularly because they're they're starting to make some of these investments for the first time in some cases, um, what may seem like a fairly routine investment to an American company may seem much more extraordinary and 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 require much deeper analysis and more thought and, and, and more deliberate process in emerging markets. Do you have any suggestions to how to adapt to these? If you're working with an emerging market, say, uh, Africa, how do you adapt to the circumstances, cultural differences and stuff like that? So I think th- there's two questions. One is if you're doing this kind of remote entry sales based on digital marketing and trying to sell transactionally remotely, that's one thing versus if you say, okay, we believe that long-term, you know, Nigeria is going to be a half a billion people in 20 years, according to the CIA, and they've got tremendous wealth and great intellectual capital. And so we need to be there. There's two, two, different kinds of situations. So we're talking primarily about the first where you get a lead and and are you going to try to sell it and how do you go about selling it and how do you adapt to that? And I think that the 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 best answer honestly is for companies that are beginning to export to concentrate their efforts on markets that are more similar and go through some of the learn their transactional issues, learn about payments, learn about um, export compliance, learn about logistics, learn about different payment terms and that sort of thing in markets that are kind of have a more common business culture, develop some export comfort and expertise over the course of a year or two, and then be more aggressive in following up on some of the inquiries that they get from some other markets. Another possibility is to, through the digital marketing, work to develop channel partners as well. I mean, marketing can appeal to a variety of different kinds of personas. One could be the end user, and you'll have different personas for the end user. Another could be channel partners. So if you say we want to expand globally, um, we want to find distributors or reps or whatever the case may be in certain markets, you can market to those kinds of people as well. There's a set of caveats to be very careful about there. It's easy, again, kind of going back to the way American companies tend to think of contracts and contractual relationships it's easy to end up with a much more complex 
and long-term relationship with reps and distributors in some markets than U.S. companies are accustomed to dealing with. And so you don't want to slide into that. So you need to be aware of that. But um, by doing that, by having local reps and distributors that can manage the cultural aspects for you, that can help to ease the entry into some of those emerging markets. How do you go about finding these uh, partners and distributors for the? So I think it, it extends beyond the digital world. Trade shows are a great way to do that. Um, and I think, again, you can market to a persona. So you can create a persona for uh, Eastern European distribution or channel partners and begin to market to them. Another really great way, though, in my experience, great, the, the, the best long-term channel partners are going to be the ones that aren't interested in talking to you right now because they're successful and they're busy and they're not looking for new products, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're quite busy doing what they're doing. And so if you um, reach out to them and say, hey, you want to sell a new product, you know, it's, it's generally not very effective. However, if you're marketing really well to end users and you have a substantial end user that you convert as a lead and begin to nurture that and they're interested, a great way to find good channel partners is to ask that end user, say, hey, you know, I'd like to find somebody locally that can help me support your business and other companies like you. Who do you recommend? Who do you normally turn to if you're looking for something like this? And so at that point, then you can contact that channel partner and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in talking to you. I think there may be an opportunity for a relationship. But in the meantime, one of your customers is interested in buying our stuff. And, and so I'm coming to you with a transaction. And, you know, let's see if we can figure out this transaction and use that as a basis to then begin to build a relationship. So you have the buyers tell you who they'd like to work with. That's a great way to find channel partners. So trade shows and ask your end users, the people who have already invested time in researching your product. China is another interesting example. They have sort of a, a restricted internet. There's a lot of filters to what goes into this internet, which also means that the people who can pull your product will be less. Is there any way you think people can uh, come into China in a different way? So there's a lot of issues of going to China, not to mention the fact that I mean, it's not one market, it's call it 10 markets. And, and people often fail to account for that. But I think from a digital perspective, there's tremendous opportunity using the platforms that are popular in China, whether you use Alibaba or JD or whatever platform you find most comfortable or best fit for what you're doing. That's a great way to get immediate traction into the market. Now, there's a lot of other issues, IP issues and pricing issues and other things to be aware of. But in terms of reaching the buyers, those existing platforms are a great tool to do it. Should you have a team dedicated to each country? Or do account managers just go around uh, in every country that have leads? So when you say a team dedicated, you mean in your home office or? Yeah. Um, so that really depends on on the market and the volume of business. If you get an occasional lead from Ecuador, you're not going to have an Ecuador team. If, if you get a lot of leads from Canada as a U.S. company, you may well have, have, have a team that's um, focused on growing your Canadian business. Um, I think that if you start out and say, we're going to build export and we're going to build it this way, you end up very constrained. If you set out and you say, we're going to sell where buyers need our products and we're going to react as we learn more about where those buyers are and why they want it and what they need and how we can help them, then you can build your business organically in a way that 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 takes care of the buyers rather than according to strict business rules that you make 
construct arbitrarily. Let's say we have a business in Denmark. The market is, we have 5 million people here, so it's very quickly exhausted. Mm -hmm. The company is kind of getting used to the tempo, but how do you ready them to handle global uh, global sales? So I saw some interesting research from American Express and the Economist um, Research Unit. And what jumped out at me about it was American companies often cite a number of reasons why they hesitate to export, you know, risks and uncertainties. What that research showed was that European countries and other countries around the world that are great exporters have exactly the same challenges. But they just say, you know what, if we only have 5 million people here or, you know, in in different populations, obviously, but European countries in general tend to have smaller populations. And in order to really grow substantially, they have to move to a broader market, whether it's just within the EU or outside of the EU. If if you are constrained in your opportunity to grow, then you have no choice. You have to figure out how to, how to move beyond those and how to address the concerns. The challenge for U.S. companies is, in many cases, they don't have to. They can grow as much as they want to, you know, satisfy their needs without actually selling internationally. So there has to be – it's a kind of a different decision for for a company in Denmark with a 5 million maximum population opportunity. If they want to grow, they have to go internationally as opposed to a U.S. company that doesn't have to do that. So that kind of changes the way you approach it. If you start from the premise that you're going to have to sell internationally because you're going to want to grow beyond what your local market can support, then it's natural to find those places that are closest fit fit uh, closest fit first. So maybe other Scandinavian countries or maybe um, you know other Hanset um, areas in Germany that tend to be very similar to it and, and begin to extend that way. And then incrementally out from there, I've seen many – Europe, well, many companies from lots of countries around the world that kind of have the idea that the U.S. is this dream market where you want to be in. And, and, and they encounter much the same kind of problem as U.S. companies that start trying to go to China or to India first. I mean, it's just so immense. I can, I, I'm based in Boston, and so I can be in Western Europe faster than I can be in San Francisco. I mean, the, the scale and the difference of culture across the U.S. is enormous. So um, I'm not sure if that's completely answering your question, but it's a, you know it's an interesting challenge no matter where you are. You look at it differently, though. Definitely. If you are running a startup and you are running on a tight budget, is there any way you can kind of bootstrap your way to international expansion? Yeah, so again, I mean, the Internet is an amazing tool. I, I, I saw statistics the other day. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think there's a 1,000 eBay millionaires in Germany, and that's up from, I don't know, 200 five years ago. And, and much of that business is export business. So the, whether you're a, a, you know, a single person that just has a hobby and makes something in their, in their house in the evening and sells it on Etsy all around the world, or if you set up a business on eBay or Amazon and say, we want to be international, you can, as a single person, um, capture enormous international opportunities using the Internet in ways that it used to be you know, only a large company would be able to imagine entering markets and selling internationally the way we can now. So when when a client comes into you, can you take us through the process you take the client? What? How do you work with the client? So the first place we start is we have to start with their corporate strategy. You know, are you trying to grow value? Is this a privately held business? Are you, you know, is, is this a lifestyle income? Do you have family that you want to sell it to? Are you going to sell the business to investors? What What's the plan? 
what's the product roadmap? Where do you stand in terms of technology and 3D printing and Internet of Things and sharing economy and all that kind of stuff? Where do you stand in terms of competition today? Um, get that um, fundamental background information clearly understood and say, okay, now how are we going to use digital tools to help more buyers find you, help you find more buyers, help you sell more deals and and do so profitably with a lower cost of sales and, and lower customer acquisition cost. That's where it all starts. And because I've learned, I work primarily with, with US companies. And if we start talking about how we're gonna go find buyers all around the world, no, 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 we're not interested in that. So if we concentrate on finding new buyers or helping buyers find you, and then just by chance, guess what? You're getting inquiries from Australia and from Argentina and from Norway. Well, isn't that good news? Now let's figure out how we can sell those. And before you know it, they're exporting without having, you know, um, gotten all worried about it ahead of time. So that more organic way to actually grow your exactly yeah. okay. right. Um, so if the people who are listening are thinking, "Damn, we need to get get this going. We need to uh, make cool digital marketing so we can get out." What is the first thing they should do when they come into the office tomorrow? Shift their mindset. Take all the sales brochures that they have and throw them out because that all talks about the product. And instead, go to their whiteboard and start to tell the story of their customer, their buyer, the problems they have, the problems they wish they could fix, the problems they have and don't know they have, and completely change from thinking about their products and service to thinking about customers. That's That has to underlie digital success in order for it to work. Otherwise, you're just using you know, the internet to blast out the same crap about your products that you have for years on paper and nobody cares about. Okay, so you find the commonalities actually across cultures. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have some quick rapid fire questions, I call them. In the end, that's just more to get to know you. Okay. Um, do you have any books you could recommend? So I, I, I read a lot and I read historical fiction and I read business. Um, I'll tell you one book that most people have read a long time ago that I haven't. I just read recently and I'm all excited about is Challenger Sale. I think that in many ways it's outdated now, but the fundamental concept that what buyers really want is for you to help them understand their business better is something that I've talked about for years and and, and I'd never seen it as, as well articulated as it was in that book. So I think that's huge. I think that... Um, uh, another book I read recently that really made an impression on me was called Drunkard's Walk. talked about statistics and probability. And it's interesting in the marketing world, everyone talks about data and, you know, you do an A-B test and you've got the answer. Well, if you look at probability, the likelihood that you have the answer is pretty low. It's, you've got data, but you probably don't have the answer. So it, it kind of helps to look at things differently. And I love... Um, books at the intersection of topics. And I, I haven't read it yet, but somebody told me about a book. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Markets, People, and Platforms or something like that. So that's on my list. I've got a long pending list for my Kindle that as I finish one book, I get another. Do you have any people you think the audience should follow? Interesting people. So the people that I follow aren't necessarily sales and marketing. Um, mm -hmm. There's a guy named John Malden who is really a financial writer. But he, he talks at a, at a very high level, kind of geopolitically in terms of macroeconomics. And I think he's really interesting, as well as George Friedman, who, 
um, from Geopolitical Futures, who does a lot of work with Malden. Um, and there's actually a sales guy out of the UK named Bob Apollo, who's, um, I think, really sharp about complex sales and has a lot of good information. So I always look forward to getting his blogs and reading what he has to say. What is something that you believe that other people think is insane? <laughs> so I'll give you two things. Number one, because I'm in the industrial manufacturing space, I believe that 3D printing will fundamentally change the nature of factories and manufacturing distribution much faster than people acknowledge. You know, people think of it as a prototyping or a hobby kind of a thing. And I, you know, the quote from Bill Gates, we always overestimate how much change will be in the next 10 years and under, or next two years and underestimate how much will be in the next 10 years. I think people are underestimating the impact of 3D printing in the next 10 years. The other thing that in the sales and marketing world, People think I'm crazy when I say, I believe that PR and marketing and sales and customer service departments are antiques. And I think that they'll be obliterated and consolidated into a single customer um, assistance function much sooner, or at least by forward thinking companies, much sooner than than um, people acknowledge. Cool. Um, so if... People want to find out more about you and what you do and what you do at Concilium. How do they contact you and how do they find you? So the easiest way, if they go to manufacturingrevenuegrowth.com, they'll find me manufacturingrevenuegrowth.com or my website is conciliumglobalbusinessadvisors.com or they can find me on LinkedIn or uh, you know if they search Ed Marsh and international sales and marketing on the internet i hopefully i'll pop up i think i do cool well thank you so much for having you uh for being on the show again it was really awesome talking to you uh, i'm looking very much forward to see you in boston well i look forward to it as well and thanks so much for the invitation and and your hospitality today sebastian you're very welcome it's a uh, it's interesting thank you thanks for listening to the 19 minute marketing podcast at www.19minutemarketing.com